Hey, my name is Jeanette Greibel from Tucson, Arizona, and I'm blessed to be a stay-at-home mom to my three kids. I love listening to Compelled because each episode reminds me that God is always working all things for our good and His glory. Hope you enjoy this episode of Compelled. I'm deadlocked, like just still in this room. It's dark, my eyes feel like they're closed, and all of a sudden, I'm getting flashbacks of this movie that I thought I didn't really care about. It's the vivid images of Jesus being crucified. And that question that's playing in the background is, would you go through this so that your family wouldn't die separate from God? I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a seasonal podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for him. Last week, our guests were Doug and Sela Helms, a married couple from Fort Worth, Texas, whose world was turned upside down after a terrible car accident left their 17-year-old son with a severe brain injury. They would face the greatest trial of their life and their faith in the Lord would be tested to the limit. You can hear that story by tuning in to last week's episode. Also, we'll be holding a Zoom call with Doug and Sela in a couple weeks on Thursday, March 11th. That'll be your opportunity to ask them all kinds of questions that you have, as well as meet other members of our team and other listeners. Keep listening and we'll share details on how you can join that call. This week, our guest is Yusuf Agoro, who grew up as a Muslim. But when as a teenager, he placed his faith in Jesus, his devout Muslim parents, relatives, and mosque ordered him to recant. Could his brand new faith stand firm? That story coming up right after a word from our sponsors. I was introduced to Yusuf last year by a mutual friend of ours who listens to Compelled. A few months later, I found myself in Yusuf's spare bedroom recording his story. He shared how his parents made many personal sacrifices in order to move from Nigeria to the UK and finally to the United States, where Yusuf grew up in a suburb of Houston. I love my family. They love me. I mean, we are very, very close and not just our immediate family. You know, I have tons of aunts and uncles in, you know, all over the world, really, UK, Canada, Nigeria, where we're from. And anytime one comes to visit, the first thing we do is pray together as a family. Muslims believe that there is a creator, Allah, and that um, Allah exists singular in, in nature. So there is no such thing as a trinity in Islam. Um, and yet Allah created the world, um, and desires that all people would be submitted to Allah and worship of Allah. And over the course of history has instilled prophets to, you know, to teach people the way of Islam. And there are certain pillars in Islam, um, that in order to be a Muslim, you have to abide by. So one of them is, um, you know, to believe that there's only one God and that Muhammad is his um, messenger. His last um, prophet, most important prophet, um, ranks number one. And to observe the five daily prayers. Um, and you, another requirement is that if you're able to, to make a, a pilgrim to Mecca called Hajj. Um, and then to observe fasting, to observe Ramadan. It's the season of fasting where it's like this month-long spiritual purification, spiritual um, journey of understanding what it's like to, to live as a poor person and, you know, just to have 
that sense of sympathy and empathy, I guess, for those that don't have much. The biggest differences between Christianity and Islam lie in the person of Jesus, right? So in Christianity, we believe Jesus to be the Son of God, both fully God, fully divine, yet fully human. And in Islam, Jesus is um, just a prophet, right? So um, if you actually read in the Quran, Jesus does perform miracles, but under the authority of Allah as a mere prophet, um, never in a showcase of his own divine nature. Um, and on top of that, to, to claim Jesus as the son of God or to claim that he is any way divine is to be committing the highest form of blasphemy in Islam. If it sounds like Yusuf knows a lot about Islam, it's because he does. In Yusuf's family, it wasn't just a religion, it was a complete way of life, something that was embraced and permeated their every day. My family is very, very devout Muslims. So from when I was young, we prayed five times a day. Um, you know, we observed that. I would, we observed Ramadan. We went to mosque every Friday and every Sunday. I mean, we were very, very, um, very devout. I was put in Quranic classes when I was younger to learn how to read and um, recite the Holy Quran, which is the holy book um, in Islam, similar to the Bible and Christianity. Is there like you recite that in English? Nope. No, I would recite it in Arabic. Can you recite something for us in Arabic? Uh, sure. Um, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah rabbil alamin, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, maliki yamadin, iyakanabudu wa iyakanastahim. I mean, I could just kind of finish that prayer. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, I, I don't know if it's specific to my family, but from for my family, the idea was, well, we want you to learn how to lead these prayers, but understanding what you're saying comes from just you go on your own time and, and read the like English, but also realize that as long as you're just saying these prayers in Arabic, you're receiving blessing from Allah. So like there's a little less of an emphasis on actually understanding what's being said, but trusting that it's a prayer that glorifies Allah, you know? And so... It's a very ritualistic religion. There's there's a lot you do, and some of it can be kind of different depending on what context culturally you're raised in. I mean, I knew Muslims that they're taught, you know, the right hand is kind of like this representation symbolic of like holiness and righteousness. So you always want to do things with your right hand. So you want to eat with your right hand. When you enter into a home, you want to step with your right foot first as opposed to your left foot and take your right shoe off first. I mean, it can get very <laughs> involved. And I think, you know, different families, since maybe they're not as high a priority as to observe in Islam, you know, different families kind of catch on to different things and, and let certain things, different other things go, if that makes sense. Yeah. I caught on very quickly you know, 10, 11, I mean, very young, that I don't really, there's a, a lot of things going on here. Like I do a lot of stuff, but it's hard to really derive meaning from these things. Did you ever mention any of your like hesitations to your family? Never. <laughs> yeah, man. So you realize very quickly, Islam is not just a religion for, for my family anyways. Yeah. It was the cultural glue it was like the glue that 
that kind of bound our family together. Hmm. And so it's not just about, oh, hey, I believe this set of ideas and principles. It's like, no, this is this is who we are. Even if my brain didn't quite comprehend the meaning behind certain things, I, I knew enough that it was such a fundamental part of who we are as a family that I couldn't go against it, even if I didn't intellectually connect dots. And the one thing in Islam too, it, it is believed that God is close to you, like that Allah is close and in, intimately close. Like Allah desires a relationship with you and Allah loves you. And I mean, there's a saying that Allah is closer to you than, you know, the your jugular vein, like the distance between your head and your shoulders, you know, Allah is closer to you than that distance. You know, it's a popular saying that my dad would always tell me, but but I didn't feel it. I was like, you know, I do a lot of these things, but I don't necessarily feel like a personal connection or personal relationship. It just all seems like empty rituals. You yeah. Know, to, to make sure that I can play outside and make sure that I don't get in trouble. I just do these things, you know. Yeah. So, but then once that started to hit me and I started to question, I think in my heart, I made the decision that like, I don't really believe in Allah really, you know, I just, mm. you know, I became, I would say more of an agnostic where I'm like, I definitely believe that there's a God that exists, but like, I remember really trying to feel Allah's love, but never really like, it just never happened <laughs> for lack of better words. I I felt like it was me trying to conjure up in my own head, these like emotions of you know, love that I wanted to feel from God, but I never really actually felt it. Around this time, Yusuf met a new friend named Daniel, who would play a critical role in his spiritual journey to come. We had just moved on to a new street. This was in fifth grade. And, um, you know, I asked my dad, hey, you know, I wanted to get into skateboarding because some of my friends were into it. So we had gone to Academy, gotten a new skateboard. And right when we pull into the garage, and pull out the, you know, the still packaged skateboard and I start unpacking it, I see this guy on the street skating down the street doing all these like really epic tricks and he's doing kick flips and finger flips and, you know, just doing all sorts of stuff, man. And I was like, mind blown. <laughs> and immediately I'm like, yo, how are you doing all of this? You know, and, and we end up starting to skate together. We ended up becoming best friends, actually. And then, you know, two years later, when I was in seventh grade, he got saved. He became a Christian. And so, you know, we start talking about Christianity quite a bit, actually. He tells me about his faith. I mean, we're best friends. So it's not like it's it's all conversational, right? Yeah. Um, never felt weird. It was me just kind of learning about what he's into now and you know and but we're still skating and we're still growing in our friendship but i definitely you know i definitely had just a lot of like questions you know i was very curious about what he was talking about because you know it was the first time that i was given a perspective on christianity and jesus that differed from the perspective that I had been given in Islam, right? Where it's like, 
Jesus is just a prophet, you know, Christians believe he died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross, you know, like Jesus isn't the son of God, like all this stuff. And I never actually talked to someone who believed everything that we were refuting, you know? And so I had all these questions, man, so many questions. And the biggest thing that got me was Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You know, before as a Muslim, I believe that he just, he never died on the cross. So there was nothing to really process there. But then hearing these, you know, kind of hearing from Daniel and and like the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross and how it actually is a fundamental core belief in Christianity made me question. And the one thing that I just could not get over is, so what? Like, what does that mean? Like, why does that matter? Why is it such a big deal? Like, and that was to me, that was the question that sealed the coffin like in regards to my curiosity about Christianity. Cause I was like, listen, if I can't understand this one thing, oh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. If, if I don't understand that, then there's no way. I mean, I just, there's no way that I'd even consider being a Christian, you know, or ascribing to that set of beliefs. Because if that's what the, if that's the biggest deal and I don't understand it, then it's essentially I'm setting myself up to like experience what I'm leaving Islam for, you know? I I'm leaving Islam or have kind of left or denied in my heart Islam because it's just a bunch of things that I don't really believe. Like I don't really see the meaning in. So it'd make no sense to jump from one meaningless religion into another. If I don't really understand Christianity and the basis of it, you know? And like, does that make sense? When you say like you didn't understand why Jesus died, was it like Daniel gave you an answer and you just didn't believe that answer or was it yeah man we had so many discussions about sin and and you know we've all fallen short of the glory of god and like we all need a savior and but it just didn't click i was like i i still don't understand why jesus had to die for that like i just i'm like you know i don't get it yeah and i think it became at some point taxing to continue to to you know to try and rationalize and try and discuss and it was just at some point i realized no I just, I don't, it's okay that I don't believe this. I don't have to force understanding, you know? Yeah. I just, I don't believe it. And so I was like, and I'll just kind of go on being somewhat of an agnostic. That's fine with me kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of trapped in between these two religions, right? And about how old are you at this point now? Um, this is what, eighth grade. This is all junior high. Although Yusuf had made up his mind that Christianity didn't make sense and therefore wasn't real, his friend Daniel wasn't ready to give up on Yusuf quite yet. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? 
Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to Stories Uncompelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. In attempts for him to get me to understand the cross and the significance of it, he shows me Passion of the Christ. The movie. The movie. Very R-rated, very... uh... Very R-rated, very gory, very not not my cup of tea. (laughs) Was that what you were expecting to watch? Like He's like, bro, watch this, man. Uh, man, I don't, I don't think I was expecting that. No. I mean, it was brutal. Yeah. And I understand what he was trying to do. I mean, he, even after the movie, he was like, bro, do you feel any tugging on your heart? Like, do you feel like the spirit's moving or, and I was like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, no, actually, no. Yeah. Not really. I just... It's kind of kind of weird to watch that, you know, like it was just I'm not into gore and I'm kind of squeamish. So it was just like I could see his ribs, bro. Like, I don't I don't ever want to have to, you know. Yeah. Um. So, you know, but man, Daniel was very loving, understanding. I never felt like he was trying to force his faith on me. It really was coming from a genuine place to to help me understand what I what I verbally am and saying that I don't understand. So anyways. That was eighth grade. Watched Passion of the Christ. Was utterly convinced that if after that, I still don't 
get it, then there's just like, there's, I don't believe it. Then I was just, there's no way I'm going to understand it. Right. And for the next two years, that was the end of the matter. Daniel and Yusuf remained good friends. They disagreed about each other's beliefs, but they were respectful. Daniel was a few years older than Yusuf and actually moved away to attend Bible college. Yusuf remained nominally Muslim and still prayed and attended mosque regularly with his family, but that was it. It was just an act. But then one night, God made himself known to Yusuf in a very unexpected way. So it was really late at night, sophomore in high school. It's like 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm on Facebook wishing people happy birthdays, you know. And everyone's asleep in our apartment, so it's pitch black except for the light coming from the computer screen. So when it's time to go to bed, it's like 2 in the morning, I turn off the PC, and as, we're, as I'm walking to my room, I just stop. I pause. And, you know, it's pitch black, so my eyes are open, but it kind of feels like my eyes are closed. And I just feel like I hear God speak to me, like, in my thought, you know. Um, and what I hear is, do you love your family? You know, and so then this internal dialogue just starts to happen. These thoughts that aren't my own thoughts, but I'm engaging with, you know, do you love your family? Yes, I love my family. Okay. Well, you know, take your mom, your sister, your, your, you know, your sisters, your brother, your aunts, your uncles. You know, according to Islam and Christianity, there's something wrong with them. Like, they both are, you know, according to both religions, they're sinful. And they, you know, on their own merit will, will die separate from God. In Islam, you work your way back through your own righteous acts and your own righteous deeds. Um, and when you die, you face God on the day of judgment and he weighs your good and bad deeds on a scale, and whichever one outweighs the other determines where you spend the rest of eternity, right? If you do more good, you go to heaven. If you do more bad, you go to hell. Well, whereas in Christianity, there's nothing you can do, right? It's by the grace of God. So here I am, internal dialogue. Um, according to both religions, they, they deserve to die separate from me. But you love them, right? Yes, I love them. Okay, well, take your entire family. Would you go through everything you saw in that movie two years ago so that they don't have to die separate from me, right? So that they wouldn't go to hell, essentially. Um, and for me, it was, you know, I'm, I'm deadlocked, like just still in this room. It's dark. My eyes feel like they're closed. And all of a sudden, I'm getting flashbacks of this movie that I thought I didn't really care about. And so it's the vivid images of Jesus being crucified. And as I'm kind of flashing back through these images, that question that's playing in the background is, would you go through this so that your family wouldn't die separate from God? Do you love them that much kind of thing? Um, and so it was like, just vivid, you know? Would you be brutally tortured, right? Marred beyond recognition. Would you have a crown of thorns beaten into your head? Would you have your hands and feet pierced and bones dislocated and I mean all of it? Um, and essentially, I came to the conclusion in my living room, just still, that I love my family so much, but I don't think that I could do that for them. You know, just an honest, yeah, a very honest response. 
And that's when it clicked that that's okay. That's how much I love you, Yusuf, like to where I did that for you. Like this cross isn't just this, you know, the story of the cross and the story of Jesus' crucifixion isn't just this event that once occurred and it's just random, but is motivated by my love for you so that we can actually live reconciled in relationship and so that you wouldn't have to die irreconciled to me, right? Um, love, love motivated that. And, you know, having kind of God put me in his shoes in a sense where it's like, you know, would you do that? Do you love your family enough to do that for them? And coming to the honest conclusion that I, I couldn't is what it took for me to kind of for it to click, you know, that, oh, like that, the cross being where God's mercy and love for humanity um, also, you know, comes at a crossroads with his judgment of sin and, and yet him being, him being the one to pay that in Jesus, you know, um, to send his son to pay that for us, love. And so, yeah, for the first time, I'd actually felt like a, an actual love from God, mm. you know. Um, and yeah, that night laid my head on my pillow and essentially just gave my life to Christ. So like, I believe it, you know, I believe that he rose three days later. I believe he died for me. Um, and yeah, and just from that day on, decided to, to be a Christian and live for Jesus. Yusuf's conversion is remarkable. Here he is going through his regular life, not thinking about God at all. In fact, he hasn't had a substantive conversation about Christianity for the last two years. But then in the blink of an eye, an unsolicited question from God pops into his mind. Would he, Yusuf, die for his family in the same way that Jesus died? And then he remembers a movie that he watched two years ago that he was repulsed by. And then just like that, the significance of Jesus's death finally makes perfect sense to Yusuf. And the Holy Spirit of God welcomes Yusuf into the kingdom. And of course, the first thing that Yusuf had to do was then call his friend Daniel. I think I called him the next morning and was like, bro, I... I just gave my life to Christ, you know, like I just, I told him and he had me come with him to church, like, uh, not too long after that. But obviously too, like, it was just really like one or one or two times that I could go with him. Um, and I shared my testimony in like a little small group, like men's small group kind of thing. And just, shared how I felt like God put me in his shoes, you know, and yeah, I feel like Daniel was kind of already discipling me, but then it became more like we would actually meet up and talk about the Bible and talk about apologetics and, you know, him being in Bible college at the time, he would learn these things and then try and teach me them. So he was taking a hermeneutics class, and, you know, and so we had one or two sessions where he'd try and teach me how to read the Bible and would actually do some of the exercises that he would do in class with me where I would have to make a bunch of observations on a passage. And then, you know, and then he'd be like, okay, 
you know, I'd tell him, okay, you know, I've made 10 observations and he was like, okay, cool. Make 10 more. You know I mean? It just, and that went on and on and on. And I mean, we were still best friends, but it was discipleship in the context of our friendship. So it was really, really fruitful time. Now, although Daniel and his men's group knew that Yusuf was a Christian, there was a very important group in Yusuf's life that did not, his own family. And Yusuf was immediately intimidated by the thought of telling them. The moment I became a Christian, I realized immediately it was an experience. I wasn't intellectually convinced that Christianity is true through a series of arguments and deductive reasoning, you know, like it was an experience. And so I immediately grew a little insecure when it came to, like, I knew I'd experienced God's love. I knew I'd experienced truth, but like, how do I defend the, the pillars of the faith to my family? Yeah. Who will most certainly challenge me and question me? And I need to know what I believe. I need to know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a little, it was really intimidating. Yeah. And so I'm on a mission. The moment I give my life to Christ, I'm on a mission to become a an expert <laughs> in Christian apologetics. And what's interesting about that is I had a bit of a head start. I knew where to focus my efforts as far as learning the defense for certain things, um, certain beliefs. I knew where to start because I know what exactly what my Muslim parents are going to say to refute, you know, my belief in Jesus, because they taught me it. They taught me where in the Bible to, to look, to show someone as proof that Jesus isn't God. And one of them is, you know, the passage where Jesus is on the cross and laments, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And that is a very, very popular scripture in Islam to refute the divinity of Jesus. If he's God, why is he crying out to God, right? And if you honestly think about the life of Jesus and the fact that he is 100% human, you realize, man, Muslims think they have a lot of ammunition because they'll just point to a place in scripture that shows Jesus's humanity and they'll say, look, how can, you know, like Jesus, Jesus wept, right? In the story of Lazarus, you see, it says Jesus wept. Can God cry? No, of course he can't. God doesn't cry. Therefore, Jesus is not God. So anyways, I had all of the list of scriptures that I knew that I needed to be able to, to defend. So the first one I go to is, is uh, you know, Father, Father, why are you forsaking me? And looking um, at this scripture intently, making observations, you know, trying to, you know, trying to kind of uh, ensue the first steps of, you know, Bible study or, or studying scripture. And immediately I notice a subscript over that phrase, right? Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Um, and you see, you know, if you reference the bottom of the page, it tells you in Greek what he's saying. I think it also gives a scripture reference um, to Psalms, right? And so I go back and I see that what Jesus is quoting is a scripture in the Bible that I knew Psalms was like Old Testament. I knew Psalms was written long before Jesus was on the scene. And then if you read that passage, you see that it lays out his, like what he's experiencing as he's being crucified, mm. right? And it clicks for me that that I am I'm reading a prophecy about his 
crucifixion. And so when Jesus, when I look in Psalms, I'm reading a prophetic word about his crucifixion to come years, hundreds of years later. And immediately the Lord convicts me to first focus on building a solid relationship, like first read between the lines and see how scripture will impact my personal relationship with God, as opposed to taking kind of a cold, rational approach to dissecting and analyzing, you know, the Bible first, let's build, let's build on our relationship. Right. Hmm. Um, Let's, because there's more to these words than, than just words. And so that was a really, really powerful experience um, because I think the Lord just gave me the grace that I needed, the push, that the redirection I needed to really start on the right foot and not just take a super heady approach to building my Christian faith, but actually really um, building off of that genuine, authentic like love that I felt and having that be the fuel that propels me even deeper to a relational-based relationship with God. And so what? why I share that is because I didn't plan on telling my parents that I was a Christian until I was like an adult with a family and could like fully support myself. And so probably around, I'm 20, I turned 28 yesterday, I think. I think I had the 30 was the age in my mind. Wow. Yeah. You were going to be 30. Yeah. If I had it my way... I would probably at this time, right now, right now is when I would start to contemplate, okay, what's the plan? Like, how am I going to, let's kind of, let's, you know, take the next two years to really be thinking about how I'm going to come out to them as a Christian. And what was your plan when you were like marrying a believer? Yeah. She was going to be in on it. She was, you were going to marry someone. She was going to be, she was going to be in on it. Yep. As the leader of this household, (laughs) I have decided we're not going to tell my family that we're a Christian household. Yeah. Wow. I had it all mapped out. But I thank God it didn't go the way I planned. <laughs> As I often find myself thanking God that things didn't go the way I had originally intended. But yeah, this is definitely one of those instances, you know. Yusuf was growing in his faith daily, trying to focus on the relational aspect of Christianity instead of just the academic. But hiding his new faith from his parents while still in high school and living at home was not as easy as he'd hoped. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right. You can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it or it didn't work out for you or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. 
If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Kept a secret hidden Bible. There was a girl in my math class. Her name was Faith. And she gave me this book, Jesus Among Other Gods. And my mom actually walked in on me reading that book. She was not happy to see that book at all. And she was like, what is this? And blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't know. I just, you know, I don't, I wanted to see how it related to Islam or something. I don't know. You know, something yeah. stupid. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I had books that I would hide from them. You mm. know, every now and then I would sneak out to Daniel's church. One of my really good friends, Noah, him and his family were, they were a part of a church in Katie and they had these like youth groups on some random night of the week. So I would tell my parents, hey, I'm, I'm staying longer at football practice or whatever. I'd lie to them flat out. Oh my God. And I would go with Noah to these services, these youth services. And it was the first time that I had really experienced like worship, mm. like corporate worship. That's not a thing in Muslim context. Worship looks different. You know, we're praising and singing is definitely not a thing. Um, they worship for them is the five daily prayer, right? Like mm. they don't sing, they don't raise hands, they don't. It's a very structured and uniform. Whereas you come here and I'm like, I enter into the worship center and you've got. 50 kids that are all like my age or, you know, in high school that are all lifting hands and are moved emotionally by the worship music. And the presence of God is tangibly felt in that room. Mm. And I had never experienced that before. It was awesome. But it was few. And f those moments were few and far between. I maybe had two or three times that I was able to go over the course of those two years that I was, you know, kind of hiding my faith. Now, I'd like to clarify that by no means would Yusuf or I encourage anyone to ever lie about their faith in Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 10, 33, Jesus says that whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. But the absurdity of the situation and Yusuf's default response of lying can't be overlooked. In fact, it does feel almost comical at times. But God has a way of pushing things into the light that we desperately want to remain hidden, especially when it comes to his son, Jesus. And that moment was coming when Yusuf would finally have to reveal to his parents his true beliefs. So we get to college and it's the, you know, it's the first time I'm able to actually able to like walk out my Christian faith in community. 
And so that's awesome. But I share my faith at this college, you know, ministry event, and there are these Pine Cove recruiters there. Pine Cove is? Pine Cove is a Christian camp in Tyler, Texas. Got it. Um, so this was fall of 2011 is when they're recruiting and they, you know, they, they apparently come every year. They are on campus for a couple of days and they try and attend the different college ministries. Um, and you know, one of them approaches me after the event is over and he's like, bro, I want you to come be a counselor at Pine Cove. And in my head, I'm like, okay. It's, it's not going to happen. One, I don't have a car. Two, I'm not telling my parents I'm a Christian for another 20 years or whatever, you know? <laughs> like, so I know in my heart, it's, an, it's just an easy no. There's no consideration of it. But I've been in kind of Christian community long enough to develop some sort of Christianese. So I tell him, you know, if God leads me, I'll go with no intention of ever going, ever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, just because of how complicated that would be with my family and, you know, it just, there's no way I could pull that off without them knowing, okay, something's up with this guy and Christianity. So, but, you know, I, over the next like couple weeks, really feel like, really feel like the Lord pressing it on me to apply. Wow. You know, and it's pretty, you know, it's crazy. So anyways... Um, I apply, uh, do a Skype interview and he's like, Hey, you know, loved, loved hearing your story, loved your stuff. I'll let you know in a couple weeks if, you know, if, if you got the job, then I get a call like maybe two hours, three hours later from the camp director at, uh, at Shores. And he's like, Hey man, I saw that you applied. Your number one reference was, uh, was my best friend in high school, um, and that's the guy that was discipling me in college, who was our college pastor. And so he was like, yeah, man, if this guy's vouching for you, you definitely have the job. You know, um, I actually want to make you like head of projects. You know, there's this position that I'm trying to actually get filled today, I think is what he said. And he was like, so, you know, let me know if, if this kind of works for you. And so I knew, OK, I got the job, but there's just one more hurdle. <laughs> I need to be able to pull this off without my parents knowing that there's a Christian camp. Now, if I had my own car, I could just tell them, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to Muslim camp, whatever. Literally it's, lie. Yeah, so you I'll can... just lie. I've been doing it pretty much all high school anyway, so I'm so numb to it. But I can't. I don't have a car. So, you know, I'd have to convince them to somehow drop me off or allow me to, like, ride with someone else, but there's no, like my parents are very, and I appreciate this about them. They, they, they want to know who I'm going with if I go anywhere. So I can't just tell them, Hey, I'm riding with so-and-so to go to this camp. They'd be like, well, what camp, where's the camp and who's so-and-so and let me see him. Like, let's meet like blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so anyways, all this is going through my head when he tells me I get the job. So it's hard to celebrate right there because now i'm thinking okay now how do i get us from <laughs> phase one to phase two right yeah and so i tell him okay awesome thank you for the job opportunity that's awesome just one last thing my parents don't know i'm a christian is there any way that like you could talk to him for me and, t and tell him <laughs> that like just convince him that it's a kid's camp but 
don't mention that it's you know, don't oh mention it's Christianity. Oh my goodness. And he pretty much says there's just no way that would happen. There's just not a chance, right? Yeah. Matter of fact, you need to tell them like today and get back to me before 6 p.m. tonight to let me know if you're gonna if you're gonna be on board and, and get take the job. Uh-huh. And so, you know, that was a conversation, and I'm just crushed. Because it was such a hard position to be put in where I am fully prepared to wait 15 years before I ever have to encounter those rough conversations of like telling them that I'm a, and having to deal with the fallout of that. There's just so much fear there, right? Yeah. You know, it was between that and realizing, okay, what I thought would be 15 years from now is literally has to happen in the next 15 three minutes. hours yeah or else i'm being blatantly disobedient to god i was so convinced that the lord was in this i decided to okay be obedient but it was the hardest decision i've ever made mm. so much so that it was like i didn't just straight up tell my dad hey i'm going to this christian camp it was like painfully drug out you know i texted him and told him hey dad there's this camp I want to go to. He's like, okay, um, what is it? It's a kid's camp. All right, cool. Well, I guess send, send me some more information on it. Okay. Send him the Pine Cove link. Uh, yeah, I see that it's a Christian camp. You don't have my permission to go. I'm going. Uh, I guess you must not be my son if I can't tell you what to do. You know, and then I essentially told him everything, you know, that I've kind of been a Christian since high school. And yeah, I sent him all that in a text message. I honestly don't really remember how my dad responded because of the way my mom responded. Yeah. My mom was very hurt. Mm. She called crying, yelling, you know, told me I've been brainwashed. I mean, it was a very, very hurtful experience for her, for me. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, it was it was hard, man. That night was also a night that we had our, our college ministry, like, weekly gathering. And so that night I just completely, like, broke down. Like, there was just so much uncertainty. Mm. Like, okay, what's going to happen now? You know, like, but it was, yeah, it was the hardest thing I'd, I'd gone through. Now, ironically, there is yet another sign of God forcing Yusuf's hand into telling his parents that he was a Christian. Because now that he had delivered the news so that his parents would understand why he was going to work at a Christian summer camp, Yusuf ended up not being able to attend that summer anyways. Now, Yusuf did end up going to the camp the following year. But again, it was so obvious that right then, right then, God was basically saying, Yusuf, no more hiding. You need to confess me before men right now. But now that Yusuf had made that confession, two months later, he went home from college for Thanksgiving break. And this would be the first time that his parents saw him face to face since he admitted to being a disciple of Jesus. It was really hard, like just a really tough, obviously the tension that exists, the yelling, the you know, my mom still wasn't fully convinced that I was Christian. So she would try and she would tell me like, hey, 
go do you know go go do ablution which is like the washing ritual you do before you pray go do your go do ablution you're going to join us for prayer and i said no and she, she was really upset and was just like no you're coming in and i looked at her and was like am i praying to you or am i praying to god kind of thing and because she was trying to like force me to pray essentially and she was like go to your room we went to war after that like she was so hurt by me saying that you know mm. my dad at one point was like hey go get dressed you're coming to mosque with us and i was like i'm not going and he's like well you may need to find another place to live then but like he's not gonna get me out of the house right like mm. they really do love me as a son and what was happening is they're trying to process and processing imperfectly the most painful thing i could have done to them I have so much grace for my parents, especially now. I mean, they they absolutely cherish me as their son. Mm. And so there's grace, you know? It would be extremely painful for me to have a child who I'm raising in the way of the Lord to one day tell me, hey, I wanna be an atheist. And so it would be extremely difficult for me to process that. And that's just what my parents were dealing with, you know. Islam isn't just a religion. I mean, what they heard was Yusuf doesn't want to be in the family anymore. Like, this is what binds our family together. And he is going outside of who we are. I mean, it is the most painful thing they could have heard from me. You know, at one point, my, my uncle, who's a leader in the mosque, very, very very intelligent, very well-respected leader in our mosque, knows a lot about Islam, and knows a lot about Christianity. Um, they called him and had him meet with me, and me and him had a discussion in our living room, in my house, just him and I, and he was telling me, like, you know, tell me about what's going on, you know, <laughs> very cordial. I told him, essentially my testimony and how I, like the experience that led to me becoming a Christian. And he was like, okay, you know what? I, I get it. You know, I've experienced hearing from God too. But then he's like, do you, do you have your Bible on you? I'm like, yeah, I have one. Go grab my Bible. And then he proceeds to go through scripture after scripture, disproving in his opinion, the divinity of Jesus the things you mentioned that you had been concerned about. Exactly. He's the, the Islamist apologist, basically. Exactly. And I was kind of speechless. I didn't really know how to, how to process some of the stuff that I didn't have a framework for some of the stuff he was bringing up. And so did doubts enter your mind. And that's the thing, man. No, if anything, my relationship with the Lord grew stronger because the one thing I kept, the one thing I kept experiencing, as he was talking, was there's just no way I'm going back to that. Like the freedom, the love, the the life that I'd experienced as a Christian, like the meaning, the purpose, and how it all centers around the person of Jesus, and especially the love that I felt. Never before, I've never experienced a love like that, ever. Never could process a God loving me that much, ever. I had a wealth of 
experience to know that I've never felt so free. I've never felt so loved. I've never felt so purposeful. It was the years of building my relationship with the Lord, how he had reoriented me from this. Hey, let's let's build a bunch of, the, you know, theological arguments at the expense of a genuine, authentic, personal relationship with God. If he hadn't have done that, if I was just a walking collection of theological beliefs and arguments, then then I probably would have converted back to Islam that night because humble was so convincing. But having that experience that first brought me to Christ where, man, the cross came alive. There's just no way I could, there was no way I was going back. I thank the Lord that he led me to really lay down my desire to be right and really focus on just building a relationship with him. Yet, it was after this experience that the Lord was like, all right, bro, now it's time. It's Now it's time to build your chops. Now it's time to, to really understand what you believe and be able to c- communicate it effectively. And now it's time to get into apologetics. Now it's time to, you know, and so that's, that, that's when I really started to, to learn a lot more about how to defend the Christian faith. The next three years were very difficult for Yusuf, but gradually over time, he and his parents were able to reconcile and heal. In 2017, Yusuf got married and his whole family was there wearing traditional Nigerian garb. The wedding photos are amazing. And thankfully, he didn't swear his wife Ashley to secrecy about being a Christian. Then just a few months ago, Yusuf entered full-time ministry as the college director at a church called The Well here in Austin. As we wrapped up our conversation, I asked Yusuf for advice on witnessing to friends or neighbors who are Muslim. Muslims are extremely relational people. I think, I mean, you know, there are a lot of negative stereotypes about Muslims, but I mean, the people, the families that I grew up with in mosque and the friends that I had, and I mean, they're some of the the warmest, most hospitable people, you know? Um, and so, but they're also, they're very serious about their faith, right? Like, you know, nominal Islam exists, but, you know, I, I think, especially in America, a lot of Muslims are more devout than, than anything, mm. right? Um, they make terrible projects. If it's something where you're like, you're trying to get a, a notch on your belt and say that you've led this many Muslims to Christ. And so that's the hat you have on when you're going out to witness to them. It's going to be a very frustrating experience, right? Um, but if you desire to love them, to get to know you know, a Muslim family or Muslim friend and to really invest in their lives and to have it not just be a, you know, a pit stop of, okay, let me share the gospel and they either receive or don't and I move on. If you really just want to invest, man, the Lord's going to use you. I mean, whether it's through seeds or whether you're watering seeds that were planted prior, you know, the Muslims that I I know that have come to faith have either done so through dreams um, and visions, somewhat kind of like my experience um, and oftentimes coupled with the experience of a, a deep friendship with someone with someone that knows the Lord mm. that that just loved them really well in the same way that Daniel did did me, you know. So yeah, um, very you won't ever hear a Muslim coming to the face through Bible beating, through you know just uh, intellectual debate, through I mean it's just you know have a relational approach and just love where you can and and. First and foremost, just pray that the Spirit moves in them 
you know? Yeah. Through your words, through the words of others. But that's always my number one piece of advice. Have any of your family members come to Christ? No, they have not. Yeah. I can say I've had really cool conversations with them. The Lord has really worked on their hearts, and our family is so much stronger now than it ever has been. We've been able to talk about Jesus. I mean, at this point, I'm like, I can totally see the Lord, Yeah, you know, in the next couple of years, who knows, Yeah, getting to him and, and this whole journey being a, a big fat seed that's been planted and, and has been watering, you know, so... I'm hopeful now more than I've ever been, you know. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Yusuf. For sure, man. This has been awesome. Love it. Love what you do. I'm, you know, I I feel very honored to have been a part. So thank you. Thank you, man. As I reflected on my conversation with Yusuf, it has just struck me over and over again about the extraordinary way that God brought Yusuf into the kingdom. Daniel, the random skater kid in his neighborhood, faithfully witnessed to Yusuf for years in middle school and high school, seemingly to no avail. But then God opened Yusuf's eyes unbidden and showered his love, using the seeds that had been planted all those years before. And then Yusuf had to eventually tell his family that he was a follower of Jesus and trust that God would walk him through that difficult season. And now today, Yusuf, who once went through great lengths to hide his Christianity, is now in full-time ministry, telling others about the love of Christ. Man, it just reminds me that God works in extraordinary ways. If you'd like to learn more about Yusuf, then visit our website, compelledpodcast.com, and pull up our show notes. We'll include a link to Yusuf's church, The Well, where you are welcome to visit anytime you're in Austin. And who knows, maybe you'll even get to hear him preach. We'll also include some apologetics resources that Yusuf recommended. These are great for not only witnessing to Muslims, but people from any spiritual background. And we'll include some behind-the-scenes photos, including some of those amazing photos from Yusuf's wedding. Trust me, you definitely want to see those. Again, you can find all of that at compelledpodcast.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would encourage you to listen to our interview with Joe Friedman from Season 2. Joe spent much of his life as a devoted Jew, practicing rabbinical rules and trying to earn favor with God, but something still seemed to be missing. After attending a cult meeting, Joe decided to read a Christian Bible for the first time and had no idea what God was about to do. That's episode 21 with Joe Friedman. Don't forget that you can get a limited edition compelled sticker simply by signing up for our referral program. It's easy to share our episodes with your friends and it's the number one way that we grow. We've got some great perks for that we'd love to send your way as our way of saying thanks, including a coffee mug or a complete New Testament scripture journal set from Crossway. Get started by clicking the share button at the top of our website. And don't forget to join our upcoming behind the scenes Zoom call with last week's guest, Doug and Sila Helms. You can RSVP at compelledpodcast.com slash Zoom. This episode was produced by me and my wife, Sarah Hastings. Our editor is Zach Fowler. Our production intern is Ethan Adams. And our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Fucchino. Special thanks to Jeremy Newman for introducing me to Yusuf. And if you have a friend that you think should be uncompelled, please let us know. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from next week's guest, Atticus Carr, a young man completely devoted to Hindu mysticism and New Age philosophy. But then one night, for inexplicable reasons, he began reading the Bible, which opened his eyes to the truth. 
I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and we'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. Everything I did was to try to eliminate my conscience to the point where I just didn't care, where I could rise above and be untouched by any sense of guilt or any sense of accountability. And it was working. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, and there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.